Good afternoon, good morning and good evening whenever you happen to be watching this video. Uh, welcome back to the Fit Finance Sessions. Um, for once, actually, for quite a long time, I believe, it, we've actually got all three musketeers in the same room. Um, so I'm joined today by both Henry Ellison and Tom Senegals. Um, today we've got a mixture of interesting topics to share with you all. Some market-related and some more legislative... <laughs> I can't say the word. Can't say the word. <laughs> Legislative. <laughs> um, so uh, on that cracking start, um, anyway, do you want to fire away with some of the, the snapshots that you've got to, to share with everybody this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm just going through the Sunday papers, as is my norm that I pick up for free with my Waitrose card. And, um, and two things, two things came to light. The first, um, the first is something that, that we've, we've sort of known is going to be happening for a while, but it's never actually been formally legislated for. Um, and that is that the state, the state pension age we know goes up over time. And it's always been insinuated that the earliest age that you can draw on your personal pension benefits would be 10 years behind the state pension age. As I say, there was no legislation in place, but the, but the government has now changed, or has now changed this. Um, so from 2028, the earliest age that you'll be able to draw rights from your pension will now increase from 55 to 57. Um, so it's, a, it's an important part for, certainly for us to, to acknowledge because a lot of the plans that we will have drawn may well have taken this into account, and certainly for those people who are hoping to retire a little bit earlier, um, it now means that they may still be able to retire at 55, but they're gonna to have to make sure that they've got other assets held outside of their pension, so in ISIS or unit trusts or wherever, to support them for those two years that, that perhaps um, they might've been thinking that they're going to draw from their pensions. Um, so that's just a, a, little, a little point that, that tickled my fancy. Um, the other, uh, the other thing, going right to the other end of the spectrum, um, is is in relation to child trust funds. So these things were set up um, back in two thousand and five by by Gordon Brown, the then Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, and 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 ultimately what they were was that they were just little savings um, vehicles, um, whereby I think the government gave you two hundred and fifty pounds to set yourself up. Um, and then away you went, and, and the, the pot of money was typically invested, and there were a few different companies that arranged these things. Um, Foresters was one of them, it was one that I quite commonly come across. Um, and yeah, so the money just sits there, it's invested and, 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 and grows, and, and then by the child turns 18, they're, they're free to access this money. And of course, you as a parent were also free to, to add into it. These things went much the same way as a sort of like the stakeholder pension, and they were quite expensive um, to operate. Um, and a recent study done by the by the Sunday Times showed that the, the average cost of running these funds runs at over one and a half percent, which is which is quite significant. Um, if we compare that to to some of the investments that that, that we run and manage, I mean they run from 0.22 percent up to maybe. Uh, 0.75% for the funds and, 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 and the operating charges. So, so they're, quite, they're really quite, a, quite an expensive thing. And then subsequently, of course, they then, um, they then introduced the, the junior ICES, um, which work in much the same way 
as the the standard ISAs, the standard adult ISAs um, that we have. Um, but significantly, at the last budget, Rishi increased the amount that you can put into a, to a junior ISA now to nine thousand pounds. So, so for any of you who have still got children with um, with child trust funds, it's well worth having a look at them, um, seeing how they're invested. Are they doing well or not? How much are you paying? And is it worthwhile transferring them into something like a junior ISA, where you can now you can now whack in nine thousand pounds, which which makes for a pretty nine thousand pounds a year, which potentially makes quite a nice little nest egg for your little Jimmy or Jane. Um, so there we go. Those are my wise bon mot for the week. I think um, the investment options in, in the child trust funds that were set up were quite quite limited. And the ones I've seen, there's, there's a few that have done actually quite well, but there's a lot that don't really perform all that well altogether. And, um, and there isn't a lot of other options to use within the, the structure. So the junior ISA is a far, far better structure in terms of being able to access investments that are, are better designed for the future um, and easy to convert them into full adult ISAs um, later on. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, particularly with the new allowance, they're definitely something worth looking at. Going back to your um, sort of pension point, Henry, it's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, pensions, uh, as a topic on the whole, have been a uh, uh, well on on the list of potential um, things to be attacked on. God knows how many budgets one cares to remember. So perhaps this sort of slight tinkering with it with the, with the rules is the beginning of uh, you know more of a, a wider spread door to be opened with changing the rules surrounding the other aspects of pensions. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about it a little bit last week, weren't we, Tom? But who knows what Dishy Rishi is going to do this um, this budget? Well, I think it's in October, isn't it? Um, mm -hmm. So we've spoken about it before, you know, flat rate tax relief perhaps on pensions down to 30% or, I mean, I suspect that they won't reduce the annual allowance, um, but perhaps the lifetime allowance gets pulled down, something along those lines. It seems like an obvious place to, to tinker with, given that he's got to try and raise whatever it is, 250 billion or something to, um, to, to fill this black hole, this COVID caused black hole in our public finances. The, the thing is though, actually increasing the, the minimum age actually delays when the government would get any potential income tax from any payment. So it's a bit counterproductive in my eyes. They'd be better off just keeping it where it is and from from their benefit, take the benefits earlier and um, effectively start to get more income tax earlier than than what they would have done. Um, because I think there is maybe, a, they have been trying to move towards a um, no tax relief up front, but, but tax free when, when you take it out, much like the ISA, um, because the government gets all their tax now rather than 40 years later in retirement, regard, depending on how long you've got to go until, until retirement. But um, I think as well, it just moves in line with state pension, doesn't it? So um, uh, it's, it's bound to get further and further away and it's probably part of the measures of maybe reducing uh, the triple lock down to a double lock. Um, but we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, I guess um, market-wise this week as well, um, we've seen uh, a sell-off in in tech stocks in the, in the US. I think... Um, that train had been going full speed for quite some time. So that doesn't mean it's disappeared altogether, but I think it's interesting seeing um, 
I mean, we're up at 3,500 on the S&P. So even before um, coronavirus, um, that's that's an all-time high. Um, some of that's come off and um, money's flowing into other areas like European equity. So um, whether the bubbles burst in the US, um, it's been a long time coming. Um, it's not really a bang. It's maybe a uh, letting air out of the balloon, so to speak. But um, yeah, it's definitely interesting. How does that sound, Tom? Huh? How does that sound? <laughs> yeah, any any sound effects that we have are uh, views of our own and not uh, that of the vision. Other sound effects are available. Yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing major. I think it's just. Um, yeah, you just seen a bit more volatility. FTSE's fallen. Um, uh, the US dollar's weakening a bit, um, and that's because of the FTSE 100. A lot of their money's earned in, in in dollars. That's kind of hurt it a bit, but should be um, should be okay for for domestics. So I think you were going to touch a bit more on currency and, and other bits, weren't you, Tim? Yeah, yeah, predominantly on on cable. So um, uh, pound against the pound against the US dollar. So. An interesting statistic really that's driving the majority of the falls in, in the sterling. So, um, just in summary, really, that the, the sort of the UK pound has been rising quite nicely over the last eight weeks, but now it's retreating quite quite heavily at the top of it, mainly from the B word. Um, obviously, I think it's, this year it's become fairly evident that people have forgotten that Brexit still isn't actually done per uh, se, but obviously, towards the end of this year is when it's scheduled to, to crystallize. Um, but actually, an interesting statistic. I was reading actually on Reuters was uh, from the Times only 30 to 40 percent of senior government officials see a chance that a deal will actually come through. So you know quite comfortably less than half of them see a, see a deal happening, um, mainly due to the state aid uh, sort of contradiction, if you like, or you know obviously the, the impasse that's around that surrounds that. But that's mainly obviously clearly then. Um, pulling confidence out of the, uh, the pound and, and people are selling it, people are selling off. So interesting, interesting stuff, but um, more interesting, more so than, than, the, than the selling falling, actually, I find, is the, is the, is the lack of confidence that, that the officials have in, in the process and what the actual outcome is going to be. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Yeah, I think... Um... It's, it's funny because uh, a lot of people are talking about the dollar becoming weaker, but actually it's only the euro that it's really, really strengthening um, compared to other currencies. I think most are still within similar ranges, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, it's, nothing's, you know, uh, sort of bouncing to all-time highs or falling you know, to converse to the other side massively. It's, as you said, much the same sort of volatility-type um, news, but... Um, as I said, selling has been on quite a nice forum for a little while um, from, the, from the dollar weakening predominantly. That's one of the next sorts of, obviously, when currencies devalue, other things must increase in value because cash must be converted into a different type of currency from selling one to the other. So, um, uh, yeah, that's, that's my point, if you like, um, that I found most interesting. I, th I think that's the thing to to kind of always think about in these sort of times when no one really knows what's going to outperform. You, you, you could argue with hindsight, oh, tech and, and, and those stocks will, will do well. But 
I mean, tech's, that's always the story for tech because it's always the, based on, on the future. It's just how expensive you, you pay for it. But if you stay diversified across lots of asset classes, then um, you're going to be able to ride out pretty much any storm. You might not always get the best performance, but you're also not going to get the worst performance either. And I think those who've been heavy in one area, yeah, it, it looks really good for a period of time, but then it, it, it doesn't always look great in, in any weather. Um, mm. That's just the key thing going forward, I think, particularly particularly as we come to the, there's still plenty of stimulus, but um, uh, I think going into the winter, Brexit, other things, it's, there's nothing to necessarily worry about. I think a lot of it's always made out to be worse than it is. Um, and, and actually, generally, things are more positive um, than it gets made out to be on, on, the, on the news. But equally, just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. Yeah, sure. I've had quite a few conversations with clients recently on um, those who are overexposed in one particular area. You know, if you're seeing the more, the more highly concentrated you are, the, the bigger the swings in value that you're going to see each year. And actually, when it comes to retirement, as soon as you sort of translate that to people and say, well, look, you know, that, that performance wise, you may have a, you know, a great time of it and outperform these diversified approaches, which we um, uh, continue to rattle on about. But actually, when you come into sort of out, using that money as a source of income and drawing from it if the value of that hop which you're trying to draw from is doing this by and large yeah that's that's extremely hard to plan with and use to actually create some sort of plan for the future when quite you know quite frankly you have no idea what the values can be in in one let alone five years um and most people tend to sort of okay yeah i can understand why you a bit more of a, you know, a consistent yet less exciting and sexy approach um, through the diversification. Mm. Or Skoda, less Ferrari. Indeed. Yeah. Diesel rather than B12s. <laughs> I think that's it for me, unless you chaps got anything else to add. Not particularly. Not this week, I'm afraid. No more interesting facts for me. Um, Cool, excellent. Well, let's bring it to let's bring it to a close then. And um, as ever, if you've got any any comments you'd like to make, please please drop them in the box below, and um, we'd we'd love to uh, answer any questions that you might have in next week's uh, podcast. Um, but until then, goodbye. <laughs>